So sidewalk sanctuary, evangelism. You know, what, what, we, uh, what we tried to share this morning is something that our church believes in. Matter of fact, this last Thursday night, uh, we went out to a shopping center in, in, uh, in Brea, out to the Target, and it was exactly what you saw right now. You know, we, we, uh, we spend the time talking to each other, praying over that area, and then we just go talk to people. To me, it seems normal because it's what we've always done. It was how we were raised in church and what to do. And it's what we've been doing now that we've been in this city for uh, coming up on 10 years pretty soon. Raise your hand if you've ever been on any of our sidewalk sanctuary outreaches that we've done, right? So, amen, you can put your hands down. We go out and we feed people. We go out into neighborhoods and knock on doors. We go into shopping centers and we hand out flyers. We flyer cars. We talk to people. One thing that I've realized is that there's so many walls that need to come down. In our lives and in the lives of the people that we go out and, and talk to, but we have to focus on them. We have to get off of the surface and, and actually get deep with people. You know, with, with the young lady, Sarah, who uh, she, she did an awesome job this morning, uh, that's how it is in most of our lives, in our relationship. What we talk about at work is surface level. We get to a certain age, what we talk about with our family is surface level. And we need to be able to talk about important things. We need to be able to talk about deep things. And one thing we found with Sidewalk Sanctuary is very often it's hard to go there with people. They're strangers. And we don't even do it with our own friends and family. We don't even do it in the church all that much. So just this last Thursday when we went out together, we prayed. And that's exactly what we prayed about, that the Lord would allow us to have, not with every single person, because that's not a reality, that's not how, I don't believe that's how the, the, the Spirit of God would really, if it was, great. But typically, there might be one or two people that God will allow you to really talk to, and will really listen to you, and really, really uh, give you what we call like a divine appointment, where you knew you needed to be there, they know that you needed to be there. I had an interesting one this last Thursday with an atheist lady. And one of the, the, the things the Lord's been telling me for a few weeks now is a particular question to ask. So we're in there in different groups. Mary's off with the boys, Junior and, and Zach and Isaiah are off together somewhere. And then me and my daughter, Naomi, are walking around the shopping center. And, and uh, we go up to this lady who's getting into her car. We give her a flyer. And she's putting stuff in the back. She says, oh, thanks, but I'm not religious. I said, oh, neither are we. Please keep the flyer. And then she says, she says okay. I caught her off guard a little bit. She says, okay. And, uh, and I said, if, if you don't mind me asking, why, why are you not religious? She said, because I don't believe anybody should go around telling everybody who God is and the only God, and that's the one that they have to believe in. She said, I think everybody should be able to believe in whoever they want, and I, I personally don't believe uh, in any God. And I said, okay. And that's when I felt like I just shared with you guys, man, we've got to go deeper than that. I'm not just going to walk away and say, oh, that's great. To each their own, go to hell. <laughs> That's ultimately, forgive me, but that's ultimately what we say when we walk away from people that have no idea who Jesus is. What we're saying is go to hell, right? So I didn't want to tell her to go to hell or her little daughter. So I said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question uh, before, you know, while you're here? Do you mind if I ask you a question? She said, yeah. I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? And she said, I think that he was a great man that the world needed. Just like Buddha, she said Buddha was all about going deep and, and getting inside of your person, and Jesus was all about love, right? So she recognizes that Jesus is real, that he walked on the earth, that he existed, yet there's a wall in her life that says he's not God and there is no real God, and I can live my life without God, right? So I had another follow-up question for her. 
I said, let me ask you, let me ask you this. I said, I just want you to think about this, maybe when you're gone from here. She said, go ahead. I said, why do you think Jesus didn't heal everybody that he encountered? If he was all about love and he was all about meeting needs, I said, this man had the power to heal anybody everywhere. Why do you think that he didn't heal everybody that he came across? And she looked at me for a second and she, she thought about it and she said, he would have been exhausted. Nobody could do that and give that much out. It would, have, it would have destroyed him. He would have been exhausted. He would have been so drained. I said, that's interesting because he would feed thousands. He would heal everybody in the community. And then he'd walk miles and miles and preach and teach and walk with his disciples. Never once do you see him overwhelmed with love, overwhelmed by the love that he's pouring out. That's who he was, who he's called to do. And she's, she thought about it for a second, right? And then I'm ready. Like at that point, I was like, man, I'm exhausted. Am I going deeper? I don't know where to go with this lady. But now she's flipping the tables. Instead of like it usually is where people can't wait to get you away, she started asking me questions. She said, well, why do you think he didn't heal everybody? I said, I know why he didn't heal everybody. I said, number one, everybody that he healed eventually died. He gave, he gave sight to the blind. He gave food to the hungry. He made the cripples walk. He made the deaf hear. But each and every one of those people eventually died. None of them are still here. I said, the reason he didn't heal everybody is because he didn't come just to heal people physically. There was a message that he wanted everybody to hear, and it was about the kingdom of heaven. I said, Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, which means, and he said, I'm the only way to God. So what you said earlier, ma'am, about being multiple gods or no God, it's not true. There is a God, and Jesus is the only way to him. And the reason he didn't heal everybody is because he wanted people to hear his message, not just feel his love. And she looked at me, and you could tell it was sinking in, and it was like too much for her brain because she was like, my world is falling apart. I said, listen, you think about it, pray about it. My information's on there. If you want to talk more, you can call me. And her and her daughter got in their car in front of Target. Funny thing is, they couldn't leave the parking lot. We kept going and walking all over the place. Like a half hour later, there they are parked again. And thank God, because my daughter usually says crazy stuff. She, like what I thought Naomi would say is, there goes those atheists, <laughs> you know? I thought she would say that, but she said, Naomi said, hey, there goes our friends. And, and the crazy thing was that her daughter was semi, I couldn't tell what it was, but she was challenged. She was disabled in some way. How significant is that? She must have been about 11 years old, 11 or 12 years old, but you could tell she didn't speak and she didn't walk well. And, um, you know, even we couldn't tell because they were getting in the car the first time, but the second time you could tell they were walking. And Naomi said, hey, there goes our friends. And she put a big smile on her face and waved at us across the parking lot. That's what we're supposed to go out and do. That's why we go out and we tear down walls for people. We impart something into their lives. We plant seeds into their lives. We never know what God is going to do and how he's going to do it. But the reality is we all need those walls to come down. We all have to go deeper than we've been before. Somebody say amen. amen. This is what I believe. God wants your walls to come down. That's why we're in the middle of this series. What do you do when the walls fall? But as soon as your walls fall down, I believe that he wants to add you to a wrecking crew. And your job is to go help other people have their walls come down. In your workplace, in your family, most of us can put up a picture like Sarah's that had 30 people. It might be 20 in your family or 10 in your family or just a handful. But I'm guaranteeing you they have walls that need to come down. And you're supposed to be part of the wrecking crew. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. 
Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house this morning. We thank you for revealing yourself and showing yourself. We know that you have work that you want to do here in this place this morning. Let our eyes be open, our ears be open, our hearts be open to change and transformation, Lord God. We pray that the wrecking crew that you've sent to our lives this morning would bring walls down would give us direction for how to live in that victory and in that freedom, Lord God. But we also pray that you would begin to give us a blue-collar spirit that we would go out and labor and tear down walls for others, Lord God. There's so much that you want to do, so much healing and loving that you want to do, but there's a message that you want to share that we need to hear, Lord God. Let it sink deep into our hearts and change us from the inside out, Lord God. Have your way this morning. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So we've been in what I would call just a wonderful season here in the church. Our last series was on deliverance, right? All these different areas that many of us struggle with and things that just need to be broken and taken off of us and move forward. Then we had our conference on Jericho, which is about walls coming down, right? <clears throat> last Sunday, uh, just really enjoyed our time together. And we talked about what do you do when the walls fall, right? It's one thing to know you need deliverance and you have something in your life that it just has to go. It's another thing to go to a conference all week and hear about, hey, the walls can fall. You can be changed. You can have victory. Then after that, what do you do when the walls fall? This young lady that we had during the skit right now, right? This was a divine appointment. She's got friends that are waiting for her on this side of the room to go back to do whatever it is that they were already doing. She has this moment with somebody, a man or a woman of God, who begins to impart some things into her life, right? And the walls begin to fall down. She sees maybe in herself like, man, I am superficial. I am focused on the wrong things. There are important things that I need to pursue and I need to see and I need change in my life. But then once that wall falls down, what do you do? She's going to go get into that same car with that same group of people. That same boyfriend has not changed. His mind hasn't changed. His heart hasn't changed. But her has there's something that has to happen when the walls fall down. So last week what we looked at is you have to take the land. We saw that you have to put on the armor of God. You have to be ready to fight. Like when she gets back into that car, if they were getting high on their way to that shopping center, they're going to be ready to get high on their way away from it. She better have her armor on and say, you know what? I know you, I may look the same to you. I may have only been gone for five minutes to talk to this guy, but I'm not the same. That's hard work. It's hard to take the land back in your life. It's hard to stop doing things that you've always done or been expected to do. So it was, it was great last week to, to talk about some of those things. So we saw the physical, you got to fight for that land. But we also saw in the spiritual, you have to be obedient internally, right? When God tells, tells you that this is how I'm going to bring the walls down, after that he says, this is how I want you to behave within that new land and within that freedom that you've been given. And many of us struggle with the obedience. Somebody say amen. Anybody struggle with being obedient? Like, we pray all the time, God, do it. God, let it happen. Bring the walls down. Help me. Bless me. Give me finances. Give me relationship. Help my kids. Meet all the needs, Lord. And then when he does, and then God says, okay, listen, this is what I want you to do. Oh, hold on, Lord, hold on. <laughs> Stop with the obedient stuff. I want the victory and deliverance. No more instructions, please. So we saw that last week, what some of those challenges are, right? God said, don't take of the accursed things, and they took of the accursed things. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, we're talking about 
Uh, what do you do when the walls fall? First Chronicles 4, excuse me, 9 and 10 says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. This is known as the prayer of Jabez, right? Some of us have heard it. Some of us has read it. Um, the Lord bore you and I in pain. Say amen. All the women know that when you bear a child, when you carry a child, that there's pain involved. Us men, we hear about it and we can recognize it. It's a little bit different from us, for us. But this woman, this, she says, I named him Jabez because I want him to know, I want everybody else to know that I bore this child in pain. It was hard work to carry him and to birth him, to give him uh, life. God would say the same thing about you and I, that it's hard work, that there was pain, that there was labor involved in caring for us and carrying us and birthing us and giving us life. Jabez says the same thing like we do. We call upon the Lord and we say enlarge our territory. And it's so amazing that God would be willing to do that. Like right now in your life, when we ask for things, that's ultimately what we're saying. Lord, enlarge my territory. I don't have this in my life and I want it, so enlarge my territory so that can come into what belongs to me. Happiness, faith, relationship, love, consistency, all these different things that we want. We're saying, Lord, bless me with those things. Enlarge my territory. Where I live right now, those things are on the outside. He'll give us the land when we ask for it. He'll give us purity back like we saw, joy, peace. He'll give you faithfulness and kindness, a lot of things that none of us have anymore. Yeah. Right? You can all pull up your picture from being 10 or 11 and say, that ain't me no more. Those thoughts are gone. <laughs> That childlike faith is gone. God says, I'll give you that land back. Right? But it's about how Jabez asked for the land. He doesn't just give it because you want it. It's, it's about the heart that you come and the request that you make from the Lord, our Father. Verse 10 says, Jabez said this, Why do I want you to enlarge my territory? Why do I want you to bless me and give me the land? That your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. Is that how we ask? Lord, give me all these things. Why? Because I know that when you do, your hand will have to be with me. I can't survive with those things. I can't take care of those things. I can't, I can't be a good steward of those things if your hand's not with me. So give them to me and keep your hand upon me. Guide me, lead me, direct me. That's what Jabez says. Then he says that you keep me from evil. Is that how we ask? Lord, I want these blessings because not only do I know that you'll help me and lead me and guide me, but I also know that you'll be with me and you'll keep me from evil. I don't want to sin against you, Lord. David said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you ask for the blessings of God, do you say, Lord, that I might not sin against you? Amen. Lord, give me these things and keep me from evil. Don't let me do a single thing with the blessings that doesn't honor you. If we don't ask in that heart, is it surprising that we don't get the land? It's things that we've been asking for and begging for. Ask yourself, if you were to get it today, would you, would you be kept from evil? Then he says that I might not cause pain. Right? He says, everything you give me, touch me, lead me, guide me, keep me from sin and evil, and don't let me cause pain on anybody. 
Don't let me build walls for people as you bring mine down. Let me tear down walls for other people. If I'm getting blessed, everybody around me should be able to see the, the after effects of that. My, it should be overflowing into their lives. I shouldn't have any friends, family members, coworkers that don't feel something good coming off of me. Man, the land is, is significant. We need to take the land, but we also have some responsibilities once we do. It says this in verse 10, so God granted him what he requested. You know, Jesus says that in other places, right? Anything you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. But Jesus is assuming that we understand that this is how we have to ask. Right? God's like, okay, you want it? I know you want it because every child wants something. But you also want my hand upon you. You want to stay from evil and you don't want to cause harm to any other people. Man, that's a great request. Here you go. Take the land. Take the land. You can have more. So here's what we're going to look at this morning. We've already looked at the deliverance and conquering and, and fighting for the land, right? This morning, what I want to look at is the importance of defending the increase. Once God has granted you what you've requested, you have to defend the increase. The title of the message is actually Protect Your New Borders, right? We say, Lord... Increase my territory. Bless me with things that I don't have yet. I want that to come into my territory. And God says, okay, you've asked on the right heart. Here it is. You've been delivered. You're willing to fight for it. You're being obedient. Now here's the thing. If your borders have increased, you have more that you have to protect. Whatever you were doing to protect this border is no longer going to be enough to protect this border. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? If you want to ask for something, you better be willing to do whatever it takes to protect whatever it is that God gives you. Whatever you have today, it takes all of you to protect and defend that. And many of us know what it's like to lose some of what we have today. So don't think for one second if God increases your territory, right, spreads those stakes out, gives you more land, that it's not going to require more of you to defend and to protect why would God give us something that we know, that he knows we're just going to squander and it's going to be stolen from us? And now what was meant for good is going to be given into the hands of the enemy. Wouldn't it be better not to give it to us at all? I'm going to get in trouble this morning. It's like, it's like kids. It's very simple. I don't mind giving my kid a dollar while I'm inside the church. He says, Daddy, the ice cream man's outside. Give me a dollar. All right, son, here, take the dollar. If you lose it, Hey, that's on you. You watch everybody else eat ice cream and it didn't hurt me that much. But could you imagine me letting my, my child run out of here with a $100 bill? That's just not wise. Everybody will be looking at me like I'm an idiot. And if he does get robbed, it has a much more significant effect on me and everybody else, right? We're that same child coming to the Lord and we cannot protect what he's given us. And then we wonder why he's not willing to give us more. When the walls fall... This is Psalm chapter 80, verse 8. This process of the walls falling and this increase taking place, and watch what happens. Psalm 80, verse 8, speaking to the Lord, he says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You've cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it, and you caused it to take deep root. It filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow, the mighty cedars with its bows. She sent out her bowls to the sea and her branches to the river, right? So this is the increase. They come out of Egypt, 
a nation, right? Several million people out of, out of Egypt, out of bondage. They got delivered. And then the, uh, the scripture, the psalmist says, man, we started to spread everywhere. We took territory. We took land. We went to the sea this way. We went to the river that way. It was amazing. You planted us deep. We were strong. That's how you take the land. Then it says, why have you broken down her hedges? So that all who pass by, by the way, they pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it. The wild beast of the field devours it. Return when we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It's burned with fire and it's cut down. This is a story of enlarging your territory but not protecting your borders and having everything that was gained taken. This is what it's like a lot of times when we come into the faith, we see God just moving mountains for us and taking us out of Egypt and giving us things that we never had before and we feel strong and we feel rooted. And before we know it, because we're not protecting our borders, these three things begin to happen to us. It said the hedges were broken down, the enemy began to pluck the fruit, and wild beasts began to devour. It's a sad thing to look out and see when that happens to believers. God begins to move, God begins to do things, and then all of a sudden, hedges are broken down, the enemy starts taking all the fruit, and wild beasts come in and devour everything. Where are you at in your story this morning? Are you still in Egypt waiting to be set free and saved and delivered? Have you gone out from Egypt and seen God begin to do amazing things in your life? Or maybe are you at a place where you look up now, you're like, man, I've been saved for quite some time, but it seems like I'm doing a whole lot of work and I'm not tasting a whole lot of fruit. The things I'm laboring for are getting taken from me. The enemy I'm trying to keep, keep at bay is coming through the hedge at all different angles. Where are we at this morning? Is it being devoured? So let's look at these three areas. Number one, the hedges. The picture of a hedge is a bush. It's like a corral around sheep. Like, I think when we think about a corral, we, we like, maybe think about the Old West, right? It's like a wooden corral and all the animals are in there. In the, in the Bible times, scriptural times, you would picture um, same kind of thing, gated around, just like the tabernacle had a gate around, but there's a bush around it as well. So not only can you not get in, but you can't even see in. There's this hedge of protection around the sheep, right? So the enemy wants to get in past that hedge to cause drama. In Job chapter 1, we hear, about, we hear about the hedge. Job 1, 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God. And shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. So we're talking about this morning, right? Like, increase me, enlarge my territory. I hope you understand this morning that that is what God wants to do. He wants to enlarge your territory. He wants to increase you. 
It says a lot about, about Job here, but listen to what it says about the hedge. Satan comes and says, Job does all those things because you put a hedge around him. You take care of him. You protect him and you enlarge him. He's fruitful because of you, God. The hedge of the Lord is part of the enlargement of our territory. When God gives you more, he also places a hedge of protection around the more that he gives you. It's ultimately his work and his labor to give you that protection. He says, that'd be like me with my son. Let's go back to that story. He comes up to me, and if I do want to give him $100, guess what? I'm going to go with him. Or I'm going to send a worthy man with him to protect him. A man that's not going to take 95 of those $100. A man that's not going to let him be robbed or stolen from. I'm going to protect my son and what I've given him, how I've enlarged him. It's the same thing with the Lord. Hey, I gave Job all these things, but I placed a hedge of protection around him. And the enemy knows it. He says, you put that hedge around him. Matthew 21.3, excuse me, 21.33 says, Jesus says, here another parable. There was a certain landowner. He planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. The Lord sets the hedge around us, but then he tells us that we have to maintain it. Right? He says, I'm going to give you the increase. I'm giving you the land. I'll set a hedge around it. Right? I'll put a tower so that you can see out over the hedge, but the enemy cannot see in. And I want you to maintain it. I'm going away. You be a good steward. Take care of the hedge. Take care of the hedge. In John 15, 1, he says, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The process of maintaining the hedge and protecting your border, protecting your land is called pruning. He put the hedge there, but you can't let it get all dead by not watering it. You can't let it grow out of control and get gaps and holes in it. You have to prune it or allow it to be pruned so that it can, so that it can continue to protect you. Pruning. It's his hedge. He placed it there for a reason. He says, maintain it. Just water it. Prune it. If it doesn't bear, excuse me, if it doesn't uh, grow healthy and it dies, I'm going to break it off and throw it away. If it does, I'm going to make sure it bears fruit. I'll make sure it bears more fruit. 2 Peter 1.5, this is what pruning sounds like. See if this sounds like you this morning. For this reason, give all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. To virtue, knowledge. Picture this young girl up here. She asked for prayer because she's a believer, right? Yet she's sleeping with her boyfriend, doesn't talk to her family, and has no relationship with God. But she has faith. I believe in Jesus. I know that he died for my sins. Well, why don't we add to that faith? How about some virtue? You are a woman of God. Have virtue. Don't give that away to some boy that doesn't deserve it and doesn't understand it. Add virtue to your faith. Add knowledge to your faith. What does the word say about your situation or your circumstances? You can pursue all that the world has to offer. What is, it, what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You need to add some knowledge to your faith, young lady. Add virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control. What'd she say? Why do you keep doing it if you know that you don't want to do it anymore? It's just expected. He expects it. I expect it. It's just the norm for us now. Well, control yourself. Pray for strength. 
To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brother kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and they abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 says, here's how you trim the hedge. Here's how you maintain your hedge of protection. And if you do it, listen, what does he promise? You will not be barren and you will not be unfruitful. There'll be good stuff on your vine. There'll be good fruit for you to eat. It's a beautiful picture of a well-trimmed hedge, a pruned hedge, right? Protection all around all of your territory and great fruit. We'll get to the fruit in a minute. So in the physical, picture the city of Jerusalem. It has a wall built all the way around the city. Had the, the, the blessing uh, to be able to go there in 2014, I think it was. And it's amazing when you see the wall built around this city, the different levels and how high it went. And you can imagine how nobody could really get into the city that wasn't supposed to be into this city. It's the God city. It's God city and it's protected all the way around, right? Watchmen, you can imagine, stationed along the wall. They prevent the enemy from coming into the city and they also proclaim who the city belongs to. So picture the city of Jerusalem, a giant wall, we're talking like 40, 50 feet high, and then imagine watchmen on top of the wall saying, we see you enemy when you want to come in here. And those of you that might not necessarily be an enemy, you're going to hear us proclaiming, this is the city of the Lord, Jerusalem, the city of peace. It belongs to God. Imagine if your life had that as a reality. A strong hedge of protection around you, right? You had watchmen on the wall in every area identifying when the enemy was coming at you and you were proclaiming to anybody who would get close, this city, this person, this life belongs to Jesus. That's the kind of territory the Lord wants to give us and that's how he wants it to be enlarged. Isaiah 62, 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Sidewalk sanctuary sounds crazy. And I can't tell you that I had all this crazy a vision of all, all these things that God was going to do and how he's going to use it. But when you do things that God wants you to do and then you read the scriptures and it reinforces that, that's a good thing. Somebody say amen. amen. God says, I gave you the territory. And I set watchmen on your walls, and my expectation is that you would never keep silent. I expect you to be screaming at the top of your lungs, Jesus is Lord, and this is his territory. Come on in and find peace and joy and salvation, or stay out and die. I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace, day or night. But we're, we're silent all the time, afraid to talk about the Lord. Afraid to talk about him and his goodness, but yet we want him to bless us with more territory. It's crazy. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I'll no longer give your grain as food to your enemies. And the son of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine, for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it, and they shall praise the Lord. Those who brought, brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. 
Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up the banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. They shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken." proclaim it talk about God show everybody and don't 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 get it says don't even give the Lord a rest you keep talking to God until he gives you everything that he promised you he says nobody's gonna drink your wine nobody's gonna eat your fruit you labored for it you worked for it why would you not have a hedge of protection around it enjoy it he says when you live that way and when you do that when you protect your borders They said they're going to call you the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be sought out. Watchmen on the wall protecting our borders. That's what our borders should look like. Right now, again, I'm not pointing the finger at you because I don't know. Only you know. What do your borders look like? (laughs) The borders of the things that God has given you. Are they well protected? Are there watchmen on the wall? Are you not giving an inch back? Are you adding to your faith? Are you proclaiming the goodness of God? Are people uh, seeking after you? Are they calling you the blessed of God and the redeemed ones? Why not? So number one, the hedge, so important. Thank God he gives it to us. And what what a tragedy if we let it die, if we won't maintain it. Number two, the enemy began to pluck their fruit, right? God just made this promise. They ain't going to eat your stuff when you have watchmen on the wall, when you take care of your hedge. But in the original story, it says that the enemy began to pluck the fruit. Isaiah 62, 8, the Lord has sworn by his right hand, arm of his strength, they'll no longer give your grain as food for your enemies. The sons of the foreigner shall not, shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. When we don't protect our borders, the hedge comes down and the enemy begins to pluck our fruit so we never taste of it. It's labor for you guys to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church, to come on a Wednesday night, to go to a Thursday night sidewalk sanctuary, to go to a Friday night women's event, right? That's labor. Honestly, if I wasn't eating of that fruit, I wouldn't want to do all that labor. I wonder sometimes how people can continue to do all the things that many of you guys are doing and then watch the enemy eat all the fruit. You're still angry. You're still on the verge of divorce. You still don't talk to your kids. You're still unable to give and finances run your life. You're laboring so hard, but our labor is in the wrong place. Pray for me so that I can get this internship when I graduate. Pray for me so I can get this new job and these, these new finances knowing that I'm not going to honor the Lord when I do get it. Pray for my marriage, because I want it to be fixed, but I want it to be fixed like mutually. Every time I take a step, I want him to take a step. Every time I take a a step, I want her to take a step. Pray for me that God would do amazing things. That's not how the hedge works. (laughs) That's not how the labor works. The enemy will eat your fruit all day if you let him. Listen to this, familiar portion of scripture, Matthew 13, 3. 
Jesus spoke many things to these people in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. He sowed, he, as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think we can see the importance of establishing your border, right, and protecting your border, but we need to see the importance of cultivating all the land, because it's all good seed, right? Everything that the Lord wanted to plant, it was great seed, amazing seed. It was going to grow up into things that you can't even imagine, he says. You, you, don't even, you can't even ask for the goodness that I want to pour out into your life. So the Lord is just throwing all this seed out into your life and into my life. And you know what the problem is? We haven't cultivated all of our land. We don't even know where our borders are, right? If the Lord gives me to the edge of this stage, but I don't have my hedge of protection there, I'm not defending my border. All I have is arms reach around me. That seed that fell over there, it should be within my territory. It should be protected. It should be falling into good cultivated soil. But you know where it falls? That's the wayside. Even though it's my land, it's the wayside because I haven't cultivated it. And I wasn't prepared and I'm not protecting it. And I'm praying to God, why are you not doing anything? He's like, man, I'm dropping seed all over you every day. (laughs) But what should be on my side and in my land and in my territory is now the wayside or a stony place. Even if it is inside the hedge, it's a stony place because I don't cultivate it. There's weeds there that choke it out. The enemy will come into your territory and eat the fruit, but you know what he'd love to do even more? Just take the seed before it even grows. How much seed has been stolen from you? This morning, I want to tell you that you have to cultivate all the land within your territory. Most of us, like at my house, I have a front yard, I have a backyard. You know what nobody ever talks about? Is the side yards. You know why? Because most people don't see the side yard. If you're in somebody's house, you look out the back window, you open the door, you see the backyard. You pull up to somebody's house. Over the last few weeks, my house looked like Jumanji, but that's all right. You see the front yard. So what we typically do is we go out there and we like, we, we edge the front yard. I'll do that a lot, right? I'll edge the front yard because everyone's going to see it. I'll mow the backyard and not edge every time because nobody's really going to see that. And I rarely look at the side yards. It's growing like crazy on the left side of the house. There's this area that everybody has in their house. Mine's on the right side in the back where I, you can't even walk back there because the grass is this tall. But you know what? That's my territory. I'm supposed to cultivate all of it. Spiritually, you know what the reality is for many of us? Maybe our front yard and our backyard looks pretty good, but there's areas that is your territory that look terrible. Seed has been taken from there. Seed has been eaten from there. The enemy has like a lawn chair sitting there, and we don't even recognize it within your territory. You know why? Because it's hard work to cultivate all the land. It's hard work to labor in the areas that nobody sees. Somebody say amen. Man, it's easy. You know what? I'm going to be on that outreach. Well, we're going to take a picture of you and we're going to put on Facebook. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to be at church. I'm looking right at you. I know who's here and who's not. You know where the side yard is? Tuesday. (laughs) 
Monday, Thursday afternoon, Friday when you had a long week and you're like, I'm about to do something stupid, I ain't even gonna think about it. Because I'm tired, I worked hard this week. That's the side yard. You have to cultivate that land too. Somebody say amen. amen. Many of our Jerichos are land within our borders that the enemy has crept into. He keeps them from bearing any good fruit. He steals the seed. And every now and then when God miraculously puts a little bit of fruit into those areas, he just eats it and laughs at us. See, when we leave our territory undeveloped and unattended, the enemy has a field day. Undeveloped and unattended territory. John 10, 1. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The enemy is a hedge hopper. <laughs> the enemy is a hedge hopper. Right? Jesus says, I'm the door. I got a hedge built around you. I'm hoping that you're tending it. Right? When I open the door and I call you, I say, let's go take some more territory. Let's go out and graze. Let's go out and enjoy ourselves. I'll go before you. I'll protect you. Walk with me. But at the same time, the enemy, it says that he comes in another way. He jumps the hedge and begins to talk into your ear. And what the scripture says is we should know him well enough to know that, hey, that ain't the voice of my shepherd. But do we? The enemy's got just as much of our ear as the Lord has. And then there's that other, thir that third person named you, right? I hear the enemy talking, I hear the Lord talking, and then I hear Vaughn talking. Usually I'm pretty good about telling the enemy to shut up, but Vaughn and the Lord, man, they battle. If you don't have watchmen on your wall, and if you don't water every day, every inch of your territory, be ready for the hedgehopper to come on in. Right? As you go and cultivate the land and you walk every inch of your territory over to this corner and over to this corner, it's much more difficult for the hedgehopper to come in. But if you're just doing that front door, or excuse me, front yard, backyard stuff over here, he can get in whenever he wants. Protect your borders. I want to have land. Not, not physical land here in the United States and on earth. Praise God, you know, we prayed for the young lady. I want you to graduate. I want you to get good grades. I want you to get the internship. I want you to go everywhere that you want to go. But you know what I really want? I want you to have amazing spiritual territory. Amen. But you got to cultivate all of it. Luke 22, 1. The Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near. It's called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people, but they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the 12. This is what I mean when I say that Satan is a hedgehopper. Satan came into the Lord's Supper. 
Think about that for a second. It's Jesus. He's giving these 12 disciples amazing territory. He's about to be crucified. He says, I'm going to have, I'm going to implement my supper with you. We call it the Lord's Supper. He's just dining with his friends, right? He's about to give them the wine. He's about to break the bread. He's about to give them this, this, this prophecy about that's going to change the world forever. What is, you know what communion is, right? Communion is saying, Jesus is saying, before this time, me and my father and my spirit, we spoke to people. We spoke to prophets. We spoke to particular men and women in different places. From this time, I'm going to give you communion where I come inside of you. What's going to happen after I die is I'm going to send my spirit. And I'm going to live inside of men and women. It's the most amazing thing that has ever been spoken or ever been done. We do it once a month here. You should do it every day at every meal, right? Have communion with the Lord. And think about this. The hedgehopper comes in to the first communion service. But you think he ain't trying to get into your land? They're about to have communion. It says Satan entered Judas. A few hours later, Judas is one of the 12 sitting around Jesus having communion. He's a hedgehopper. In the very beginning, God creates everything, makes a, makes a garden for Adam and Eve, and he walks in their midst. And you know who came in? The hedgehopper. Giving them poisoned fruit. So not only does he take the fruit and take the seed, he'll poison it and then let you eat it. You better protect your borders. Can you see them? Do you still want the walls to fall, or is this too much responsibility for you? Do you want the territory? Honestly, because we beg for it. We beg for it. But I don't think we really realize what's involved in gaining that territory. If you stay where you are, not much will be required for you, from you. If you want more territory in your marriage, you want more territory in your family, you want more territory with influence of friends and other family. You want all that kind of stuff? Well, man, there's, there's a lot required of you to be able to protect that land. Watch out for the hedgehopper. Last one. We're going to close. <clears throat> we saw the hedge that needed to, to go up. Then we saw the enemy coming in and eating the fruit, hopping the hedge. The last one was that wild beast began to devour. The picture I see painted here is the Lord gives you the hedge, tells you to prune it. You have to grow in your faith. Take a course. There's a little plug for the courses, amen. <laughs> grow in your faith. Add some things to your faith. Then he says, look, there's an enemy that's going to try to hop the hedge. You better know the voice of the Lord, and you better be coming in and out of the gate. Don't let somebody hop in and still kill and destroy, and then maybe even cause you to hop out of your own territory and follow him. Right? So we can kind of get with that. We understand us just not doing what we're supposed to do as Christians will destroy our hedge. If we allow the enemy into our territory, he'll take all the fruit. This last one about the wild beast coming in and devouring, the picture painted is just the normal everyday stuff going on in life. Just the wild beast. It ain't necessarily the enemy. It ain't necessarily you. Just walk out into this world and you'll see that there's wild beasts out there trying to devour stuff. Their own drama will run right into your field if you let it. Tear everything up. They didn't even do it on purpose, but they don't care. They run right through your field, tear it up, and they keep on going wherever they were going. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus is talking. He's explaining the parable of the seed because they didn't get it. And in 13, 22, he says, He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. 
Regular people, regular things in this world can make you unfruitful, right? It doesn't have to be the active work of the devil. It doesn't mean that you didn't take care of your hedge. What it means is everything that you got to do on a normal everyday basis in the life that you lead and where you want to go and where you want to vacation and what you want to uh, be a part of and all those kind of things that are just normal everyday stuff, if you let it get out of order in your life, it'll make you unfruitful. If it draws your focus away from the Lord and it draws your focus away from your territory, for long enough, you'll become unfruitful. And you won't be able to look back and say, man, this was an attack of the devil and the enemy came at me and I wasn't ready and I wasn't armored and God blessed me with territory and, and I watered and did all that. No, it's just going to be, you know what, I just lost focus. The normal everyday stuff going on in life. Wednesday night I had a conversation with somebody and at the end of it, I was so angry with myself because I, wasn't, I couldn't be mad at them for the conversation. I couldn't be mad at, you know, what was going on and, and what God needed to do. I was mad at myself because I said, you know what? This is my own fault. I, I, I let my focus get off of my territory. I let my focus get off of my hedge, and I allowed something that's just normal everyday life that everybody goes through to come in and just steal from me. Any of you ever had conversations like that or weeks like that or people like that in your lives where you're like, man, I'm not even really mad at them. I'm just mad at myself for letting that happen to me. That's my territory. That's not their fault for coming in here and doing that damage. It's my fault for not doing what I was supposed to do. You can go to church and have a great Sunday and then you let your boss destroy that on Monday. You let somebody cut you off in a car and destroy that. You let a creditor call and destroy that. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's not even their fault. That's just who they are. They're just being themselves. That's the normal everyday life that we all live and the people that we're exposed to. But the wild beasts come in and devour. Why? Because the Lord sows seed, we hear his word, and then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke that word. One of my favorite lines in movies, you hear it from, from soldiers. They say, I've sworn to protect this nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic. How many of you have heard that line before? Amen. I think my favorite one is in the, the movie The Rock. Sean Connery, like 1998, something like that, right? It's one of the Navy SEALs, and they're fighting with, with Ed Harris, and, and they're in there, and he's like, Ed Harris like, don't you know what this country has done, and don't, don't, don't you see what has to change? And then like the Marine of all Marines, he says, sir, Lord knows I'm with you, but I've sworn. <laughs> He's like, I understand how you feel. I know why you're doing it. I feel the same way. But my allegiances are to this country. I've sworn to protect it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. In the scriptures, what we see, we see the Lord and we see the people of God being protected against foreign enemies. They came out of Egypt. That's a foreign enemy. There's a city of Jericho. There's the Philistines. There's all these foreign enemies, and God protects them, and they do their part, right? Then they have the domestic enemies. Right? We saw when they, when they took Jericho, what did Achan do? He took of the accursed things, but he was a domestic enemy. He was part of their crew. He brought sin into the camp. We saw Gehazi turn on Elisha. That's a domestic enemy. That's supposed to be your disciple. You're supposed to follow the prophet, and you want to leave him to go to the enemy and take riches from them. Each one of you and myself this morning, you have foreign enemies, 
and you have domestic enemies. It's your land. You need to defend against all of them. Do you know the difference between uh, a domestic enemy and, and somebody that God wants you to minister to and somebody that God wants you to help? I kind of gave you a little bit of an example uh, with the, one of the conversations that I recently have. Just see what's bearing fruit. See if the enemy's trying to use that as a, as a domestic enemy to take from you, steal from you, make their life less fruitful and your life less fruitful, or see if as they grow, you grow and iron is sharpening iron. Walls fall down, take the land, <laughs> but protect your borders against all enemies, foreign and domestic. How do we do that? Build a strong hedge by adding to your faith. Do the hard work of cultivating every inch of your land. Don't leave the side yard unattended. Don't leave any stony places or rocky places. Get in there and till the ground. Make sure you're ready to water. And then keep the cares of this world in their proper perspective. Everybody has cares in this world. Amen? Amen. We all have drama. We all have something going on. But keep it in its proper perspective. It's not that important. If you ignore it for a week, like we did during Jericho, did anybody, like, did the cares of this world show up on the Monday morning after? Like, how dare you ignore me for a week? Like, they were still there. But for whatever reason, God got bigger during that week of walking every day and praying every day, and your problems got smaller. Keep them in their proper perspective. Last scripture. This is what God says will happen when we do this. Isaiah 58, 8. Then, say then. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The Lord is our righteousness, right? So he goes before you everywhere you go. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So he goes before you. He shines all around you to the point where his glory is your rear guard. Nobody can even attack you from the back because the glory of the Lord is surrounding you. Man, that's some good territory to be in. Then it says in verse 9, then, say then. Yes. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. We're living in the wrong land. We're not taking care of the land like we should. We're not protecting our borders like we should. Our hedges are run down and unpruned. We don't have watchmen on the wall, but God can change all that in an instant. He says, add to your faith and you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord, your Savior. Once we know that this is what God wants to do, then we have to be strong enough and obedient enough to say, Lord, come and do that in my land. You gave it to me, show me how to take care of the hedge. You gave it to me, show me how to make sure that this uh, hedge hopper doesn't, doesn't have his way in my land. Because he's still coming, say amen. amen. Right? What that means is, if I'm taking care of all my land, he may try to hop, but I'm going to see him within 24 hours because I'm going to water in the morning. I'm going to come right back and water the next morning. Some of us, the enemy may be in your territory right now, and just because you won't go to that area, he set up camp. Lord can change that this morning. And in the cares of this world, God, help me put everything into proper perspective. I'm going to go to financial peace. And you know what? If my credit is jacked up and tore up, that does not talk about the value that my life has in the eyes of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let me just keep it in perspective. If my relationship ain't gonna be on, uh, what do you guys watch, E or Access Hollywood or anything like that, you know, it's okay. 
I'm gonna go get me a little bit of couples counseling and hope God makes it a little bit better. I'm gonna keep it in proper perspective. If my kids aren't looking for an internship, but they're trying to get into the local JC, thank God for that and praise God for that. Like keep things in perspective in your life. It says then, the righteousness will go before you, the glory will follow behind you. You'll call for the Lord and he'll answer. Here I am. Enlarge my territory, Lord, and he'll grant you your request. Let's pray. Stand with me, matter of fact.